healthcare professionals need to realize is that, you know, we only have a limited amount of time to perform these pen tests, right? Well, an attacker might have months, years to, to try to find that information. So, you know, as, so something they can do is provide us as much information. Obviously not to tell us all the secrets and everything, but tell, it's more of a gray box approach. So meaning that they tell us some relevant information, just not everything. And then work with us, communicate. Like we use Slack for when we're doing pen tests. Feel free to ask questions if you have any, or tell us what is that thing that will cause the most harm to your company, right? Is it like personal information, credit cards? What is it that you're looking for to provide the most value? Because we'll try to find as many vulnerabilities as we can, but sometimes we don't need domain admin credentials to view EII or that. So it's more of like, let us know what brings the most value to you. Just use us as a resource. From Cobalt at Home, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. I am so delighted to be joined today by my colleague, Gisela Hinojosa. She is a senior security consultant at Cobalt, executing IoT penetration tests and red team exercises with a wide variety of security teams. With over 13 years of experience in the tech world, Gisela has held roles in admin, software engineering, QA consulting, and pen testing. She's been a part of the Cobalt team for one and a half years, driven by a passion to help companies find their security vulnerabilities before an attacker does. I am excited to learn more and share about her story and zero in on her technical expertise. Gisela, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited. I like to kick things off with a similar question for each guest. Would you tell us how did you get started and what brought you to where you are today? So I guess it all started when I was younger. So my dad worked a lot. So sometimes around the house, stuff would break, like either the TV would stop working or something like that. So I would try to fix it myself. So kind of like, I didn't know like a lot about TVs back then, but then I used what I had. So like encyclopedias or the internet or stuff like that. So I would try to fix it myself. And sometimes I fact, I did it, but it was something fun that I like to do. And I used to have like a box of electronics under my bed that I like taking things apart. I couldn't always put them back together, but it was, it was fun for me. So that's kind of how I knew I wanted to be in tech. And so that kind of went back to like, as I grew up, I was trying to have the school put a web design class as part of the curriculum because there was really nothing like that at my high school. So I kind of drove that conversation and they eventually did the web design class. I had already graduated by then, but at least it was an option for people after me. And so that's kind of how I started. I initially wanted to do kind of more electronics and robotics, but the school that I went to did not have uh, any of that. So I just decided decided to major in computer science. And from there, I kind of, once I graduated, I started uh, being QA, mostly because there was, uh, you know, a lot of competition for entry-level development positions. 
So I just figured, you know, I would do QA for a little bit and then eventually transfer over to development. However, I kind of have figured out that I was pretty good at QA and I kind of liked it. So I was, I did that for six years, but then kind of was getting a little bit bored of it and decided to make a change. And then my husband asked me, you know, what is my passion? What did I want to do? And then I told him that I like security, I like hacking, but I didn't see that as a career option. But then after doing some research, I found out that it was actually an option and that there was a security company where I, where I was, which was Austin. So that's kind of how I got started in all this. It's an incredible story. I can just like picture you as a young person breaking stuff, fixing stuff, you know, studying computer science and how amazing it is that you get to do what you love and what you're great at for a full-time job. In recent years, you've had a big focus on penetration testing. I'd love to hear more about your work and also what is it about pen testing that you find rewarding? So I would say that what I learned from QA is actually very applicable to security. It's just, it's still, QA is looking for vulnerabilities in software, but in security, you know, it's basically looking for vulnerabilities in their networks. And I find it, it's very similar, but it's also not as repetitive as it is in software testing. So something that I love about penetration testing is there's always so much that you can learn. Like you, there's so many different topics. You're never going to be an expert in one field or all the fields. There's just so much. So one of the things that I love is that it's challenging and, you know, every pen test is different from the next. So you're always trying to solve, like, it's kind of like a puzzle and you're always trying to solve it try to find that challenging. And it's really, once you get it, like it's just so such an amazing reward. And also, I mean, you're helping companies become more secure. And so you're also kind of driving that. So I think it's great. A lot of that really resonates with me too. I love that we get to do good work. I love that we get to protect organizations and people and data. And I do love that everything is always different. Kisela, you've looked at so many networks and so many applications and so many devices. And you've looked at these things from hacker mindset. I wonder, do you see any repeat trends and mistakes that teams make when they're trying to manage their security? I'd love to just know if you see any common themes and if there's anything that stands out. Yeah, so I think this is a great question. So I think it doesn't matter if it's network or device and application. The one thing I always see, it's weak passwords. It's just like so surprising that there is like uh, summer 2023 or like just it's so weak passwords that they everyone's using like dictionary words that are not that hard to guess and they're being embedded in devices. They're being used in networks. So there's no other, uh, what companies are kind of missing is they're not having multi-factor authentication. And so as long as you get someone's password, you have access to all these sensitive information. And I get that multi-factor authentication is not ideal in some cases, but definitely should have it on sensitive hosts and things that you don't want attackers to get access to. The other thing too would be misconfiguration. Like sometimes 
just because it, it's easier for a developer to hard code a password. So they are basically doing like a backdoor to that device or that application. And people are going to find this, they're going to exploit it. And you can't just depend on obfuscation for security. So yeah, I think that's very common in all the fields. That's so wild. <laughs> it's like so wild that insecure passwords and a lack of two-factor authentication and misconfiguration is just so incredibly common. Thank you for sharing that with us. Hisela, a lot of the people listening to this podcast are security professionals. And at some point in time, they may find themselves engaging in a pen test somehow. Maybe they're working on setting up a pen test. And I wonder if you have advice for folks in this situation. Like, is there anything that they should know before approaching a pen test? Is there in your opinion, any secret sauce to helping a pen test to be as successful as possible? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So I think sometimes security professionals don't see us as we're on their team, right? They they obviously want to not give us a lot of information about their network, or they might not know their network well enough to provide us that information. And, you know, we're trying to make their network or whatever more secure, we are not against them. You know, it's not like we're trying to tell on them or make fun of them. It's nothing like that. It's just sometimes people don't trust us and because it makes them look bad, but that's not what we're trying to do. And I think what secure professionals need to realize is that, you know, we only have a limited amount of time to perform these pen tests, right? Well, an attacker might have months, years to to try to find that information. So, you know, as so something they can do is provide us as much information. Obviously, not get, tell us all the secrets and everything, but tell, it's more of a gray box approach. So, meaning that they tell us some relevant information, just not everything, and then just work with us, communicate. Like we use Slack for when we're doing pen tests. Feel free to ask questions if you have any, or tell us what is that thing that will cause the most harm to your company, right? Is it like personal information, credit cards? What is it that you're looking for to provide the most value? Because we'll try to find as many vulnerabilities as we can, but sometimes we don't need domain admin credentials to view EII or something like that. So it's more of like, let us know what brings the most value to you. Just use us as a resource. Awesome. I love the idea of encouraging folks to really engage with the folks that they're working with and the pen testers and just to have an open dialogue. Hisela, I know that we kind of talked about people who are setting up and running and managing pen tests. On the flip side, I know that you often get asked by people who are interested in getting into doing pen testing if you have any advice. When this happens, what do you tell them? So, I mean, there's no like, secret path to it. But I mean, something that I would say is like, if you're interested in network security, you know, build your own network at home. Uh, Try to do like set up your own lab and hack your lab. Like, you know, everything right now, especially since you don't need a lot of hardware to do it, you can do it on the cloud. It's relatively cheap and it's a good way to, to learn and to see both sides, right? Like if you're attacking it, like what do you see on the defensive side? Are they, is it leaving logs? Like, so that kind of thing is always good. Also, 
there's a lot of resources online. Like before, when I was younger, there was not a lot of resources, but now there's so much stuff out there. There's videos, there's blogs, like just do your research and find that specific area that you're interested and just start digging into it. And then being active in the community, like every community has their own, you know, security community. Here we have like the OWASP and, you know, they do happy hour. They do once a month to get together, you know, get get to know people. That's really how how it is. And going to things like DEF CON and that's how you meet people. Fantastic. Thank you. Hey, Sala, I understand that one of your big focuses this year and maybe even right now is on IoT engagements. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about how does an IoT assessment test work and what does it look like to pen test an IoT device? Yeah, so so we have a, a methodology that we use and there's several big pieces. So the first one is the embedded device, so the actual physical device. And when we're looking for that, we're looking for does they have some debug ports like KTAC or UART and like how does they communicate with the other components on the board? Then there's, you know, firmware analysis. So basically either the client provides us or we are able to jump it from the embedded device. And what we look for is, you know, hard-coded secrets, how it communicates with the rest of the device. Like there's the web server inside the firmware. So we're looking for all these different types of potential vulnerabilities within the firmware. Then there's the applications, right? So usually there's some kind of application talking to the device, whether it's a web app, an API, or sometimes a mobile application. And then we perform testing on that. So basically, you know, we try to do just like NOAA's top 10 on all those components that are available. Sometimes they, they don't have a mobile device or they don't have a web server. So it just depends on what is available on the device. And then another thing that we kind of look at too is the protocols. So some of them would be like, is it using Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or just any of the internal protocols too? Like, is there, you know, MQTT or like, how is it communicating with the other components on the device? So that's pretty much how it looks like. But I would say when you're doing IoT, you definitely need an extra desk because there's a lot of different components and you have to take, a, take apart the device and you definitely need a lot more desk space. So I recommend a second desk. That's fantastic. I would not have guessed that part of your explanation and helping us to understand how this type of test works would involve like physical space required. And that actually makes perfect sense now that you say it. Hisela, I've got one more question for you as we wrap up our podcast recording today. I wonder, with everything changing so quickly, I think that change and learning have both been themes that emerged in our discussion today. How do you continue to learn and to hone your skill set? So a lot of it I get through like Reddit or podcasts, but there's also, I've I've actually... I'm pretty surprised by this, but LinkedIn has a pretty big security uh, platform. So I see a lot of blogs that people are linking or adding, and I might not get to all of them at the time, but I definitely save them for future reference. And I go back and I look at them and it's just like being plugged in, right? You need to be on social media 
to see these blogs and people are just coming up with new ideas, but then also going to conferences and hearing them talk and networking with people. So that's kind of how I kind of keep up with security. Incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me and tell me a little bit about your story and to share some of your advice with our listeners. I really appreciate it. I know. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was uh, great talking to you. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen test as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.